Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. We're in a series called In the Meantime. Have you ever thought about that phrase before? I was like, what, what does that even mean? I'm like, like, that's one of those like cliches where it's like, oh, in the meantime. But what is, what is, where do we even get that from? It's actually from the idea of math. You know, like I, I, I was doing math with my kid for years. Thank God I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, it got too hard. I'm like, I don't want to do calculus again. This is dumb. I did it once and I've never used it. Anyway, um, so, so I was doing math with my kid for years, though. And, and you go through mean, median, mode, you know, all, all these different. But the mean is just the average, right? And so, so the idea of in the meantime is, is that you're kind of stuck right in the middle. Of where you don't want to be. Like, like, I'm not back there, but I'm not here. I'm just right in the middle, the mean, the average. I'm in the middle. And so even though I'm not where I used to be, I'm not where I want to be. I'm just hanging out in the meantime. And you have these moments in your life. And, and, and especially for today, I need you to bear with me. Some of you today are right in the middle of the meantime. And I almost feel like it's appropriate too, because sometimes the meantime feels mean. If you want to take it literally, it, it's, it's mean sometimes. And, and here's the deal. For those of you who are in the middle of your meantime, this is going to be so important for you today. And if you're not, it's going to be important that you kind of just take notes. Because hopefully by the end of the day, I want to rearrange your theology a little bit. So it'll help you and prepare you for when you hit the next meantime of your life. And, and here's, here's why I know this is so important. Is, and the reason why I even wanted to do this series was because I kept having conversations with people. I kept having people come to me about their prayer request and their needs and their marriage situation and their family drama and all this stuff. And I thought every one of these stories has one thing in common. They feel stuck right where they are. Like, 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 have you ever felt like you hit a season of life where there was nothing that you could do about it? Like you were just stuck. You, you, as a matter of fact, we have a phrase for this too. Um, you ever do use this phrase or hear this phrase? Hey, it is what it is. You ever? Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. As a matter of fact, I, was, I, I had to teach my kids this because like a few weeks ago, we were headed out to the beach. And how many know like, I love the beach. How many beach people out there? Like I used to not, I used to be too, too like anxious. I needed to always do a sport or something. I've gotten a, a, to a stage in my life where like, Doing nothing is nice, you know, that kind of thing. And chilling on the beach is nice. And I love the waves and the view and the ocean. And we, even while we were there, we're like, you see the little, what were they? The, the seals? Was it a seal? See the seals? And we're like, man, how cool would it be if like a shark came up? And yeah. So <laughs> that's how my mind works. Um, but but we, we, I, I love the beach. And, and, but here's the deal, though. We were headed to the beach, and, and it was a little further away than the beach we normally go to. And, but we wanted to go check out this new beach. And, and, and there's only one way to get there. There's only one real main road to get there. And then all of a sudden, like, Surrey jumps up on your map and it's like, oh, by the way, there's a crash ahead. You're going to have about a two-hour delay. You might want to turn around, you know, that kind of a thing. When Surrey tells you to turn around, that's when you know it's bad. And there's only one road to the beach. And, and so then, like, we're just stuck. And when you got three kids who done got their skibbies on, and they got their beach sand toys, and they got the boogie board is out, you know, all those fun things, and you're stuck in a car, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, you, like how many of you ever feel like that fatalistic about traffic? You ever been on like, you know, 680 North about, you know, Calaveras, 5.30 p.m. And you're just like, Satan has my life in his hands. I'm in the jaws of death. I'm in the grips of Hades. This is what, this is, this is it. And you know, you got to get over that hill. But you know, there's just nothing that you can do about it. 
And you turn to Siri and you just say, it is what it is. And you're stuck, you're stuck in the, because you, you're trying to get to the beach. You're trying to get to the dream. You're trying to get to the promise. You're trying to get to the awesomeness of the beach. And you are stuck in traffic. And my kids are going nuts. And what do kids say when they're in the back seat and they're not moving? Are we there yet? When are we going to be there? I got to go pee. And I'm like, look. You know, because you, you got a limit as a, as a parent, right? You're like, look. Y'all need to take a deep breath right now. And clearly I was the one that needed to take the deep breath. But I was like, y'all need to take a deep breath right now. Because you just need to know there's nothing we can do about this. We can't turn around. We can't move forward. It just, it is what it is. And in those moments you want to run. You want to open the door and just like, I just want to run. I want to be free. And so, but you can't do that. You know, because you have a wife that would kill you. And so... Those are the moments of life. But see, here, here's the deal. I know that you guys have serious moments of life. And we come into these serious, it is what it is moments in life. We're like, literally, like, like so for some of you, it is your marriage. Like you, you want it to work, but they don't want it to work. And you're trying everything you can do to make it work. And, and, and when you're stuck there, it just, you, you're out of control. You can't control what the other person does at this point. And so you're just like, I'm praying and I'm waiting. But God, I can't do anything more than what I'm currently doing. It just, it just is is what it is or you look at you look at your kids and this this is so true too because you like tell your kids like hey your grades count your grades count it matters what you do and all of a sudden then they're seniors and then their grades are awful and then now they can't get and so you're like yeah mom those grades counted I should have been paying attention but you can't change anything now because I, I always tell people this all the time you don't have a flux capacitor how I many you know I'm talking about like yeah back to the fuse thank you 80s kids um you don't got no flux capacitor. There's no ability to go back in time and undo or change what happened. And now you're just stuck with whatever past decisions you make that have now influenced your current present situation. And it just is what it is. Or, or, or your kids, you ever do this with your kids? For, for you have older kids, you like see who they're dating and who they're with. And all of a sudden you're like, mm, and, and you're not. And then now you're stuck with like in-laws that you're like, it just, it is what it is. And so there are certain like financial decisions, like, like there were things that you know you should have done in your 20s and your 30s and made financial decisions and made financial preparation, but now you're a little bit later in life and you're not realizing the financial dreams or security that you wanted to do and you look back and you're like, but I can't, there's no flux of capacitor, I can't go back in time, I can't change anything, and so we just, it is what it is. I don't have the ability to go back and change that. When you look at your family dynamic, the drama, the mess, the what, and, and, and is anybody feeling me up in here? So some of you are going through it right now. Some of you know what it's like because you felt it before. And if, if not, hang on, something eventually will happen because life is full of kind of crazy and sin and weirdness. And so uh, my, my point is this, is that it is in these moments where these temptations come. And there's a temptation to run because running just seems easier. But, you know, again, you, you're married. You don't want to run. You don't want to just bail. You know, your kids are crazy, but you can't just leave them. They are your kids. Uh, you know, you, you can't just quit your job. You got responsibilities and bills to pay. There's just so many things that you, you want to do and you're tempted to do, but you just, you can't quite do them. And God forbid in that moment, you get some Christian person roll up on you and be like, you know what? I mean, I had the worst day yesterday. I was at the mall. And there was no parking spaces. But you know what? I prayed. And God opened up the heavens. And the front row of the front spot opened up. And I was like, the Lord has answered my prayers. And I pulled right in. And I said, hallelujah. You want to slap that person. <laughs> your trial in life. I can't even afford to go to the mall. But your trial in life is the front. You're like, you know what? I had the worst day. I couldn't, I couldn't find my keys. I couldn't find my car keys. 
You know, I prayed and I said, God, give me those keys. I need those keys. You know where those keys are. God, please show me where those keys are. And you know what? My husband came home early. He's so sweet. He comes, he came home early and he brought flowers. And when he opened the door, I heard the jingle of my keys in the car. I said, God, answer my prayers. And you want to slap that person. Because you're like, you have no idea the hell that I'm experiencing in life. Like you can't find your keys or you need a front row parking space, but I'm in the meantime. I'm stuck where it is what it is. And there's a temptation that comes in that moment. Sometimes it's to be resentful because some of you will get angry at God. Some of your plight will become so heavy and so burdensome that you'll blame God and get angry at God because God's the one that orchestrated all these affairs. And God, why aren't you answering my prayers? And why aren't you saving? And why aren't you delivering and doing all those cool Bible things that you do? And then other times you just get resentful at other people. Sometimes you've ever done this before. You look at your life and then you, 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 you're, you're, you're in the meantime of your situation, but then you look at other people's life and they're just blessed and they're doing great and everything seems to be like rolling in their direction. It's favors all over them and you're like, they don't even deserve that. You get, you get jealous, you get envious or, you know, again, you just, there's these inward temptations and this is where I want to go today and so there, there's really three temptations that we'll, we'll look at today that hit you. One is this, there's a temptation for you. It's a lie that you will want to believe. The enemy will try to plant this seed in your mind. You'll, you'll rehearse this one. I'll never be happy again. And that's the temptation. You're like, you know what? It's just so bad and I don't like it and I'm just miserable and it just is what it is. I'll just, I'll never be happy Again, the other one is, is a little bit different. It has to do with like a different idea in your brain, but it's nothing good can come from this. Like there's no way that anything good's going to happen. Nothing, And there's just no point in continuing. Like there, there's just nothing I can do to move forward. And these are the things that I want to address today. And I want to give you a little bit of hope and a little bit of clarity. And, and, and here's why. It's in these moments that you need to realize that God is not like you. And God sees the world differently than you. The, 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 the writer Isaiah said it like this. He goes, his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Like as far as the heavens are from the earth, which is millions of light years apparently. As high as the heavens is from the earth, so are his thoughts different than your thoughts. And his ways are different than your ways. You ever heard this verse before? And so God's thing and God's deal and God's plan and God's blueprint sometimes just does not make sense and there's these temptations and if you if you here's the thing that I want you to believe in your heart by the end of the day is that God is not absent he is not apathetic and usually he is definitely not angry either but that's the temptation that we all face is that God has abandoned me God has left me God's not answering my prayers where did God go but you know what here's the deal when I look at the Bible I see all kinds of great men and women in the Bible who experienced life just like you did because it's easy to get isolated and be like I'm the only one nobody understands what I'm going through I promise you half the people in this room probably understand exactly what you're going through but you don't feel that way you know what I do I like to go to the Bible and here's here's my thing if I can go to the Bible and find some people in the Bible who experience what I experienced then I feel like okay well I'm, I'm not I'm not the only one right and when I look at the Bible I go through the Bible and there's a list of Bible people that like experience in the meantime moments like there's these guys named Shad Rack and Benny who are living as basically like refugees in a foreign land and there's this moment where they're just honoring God with their lives and the king gets upset and he throws them into like a burning furnace I'm like man that didn't turn out good they're, they're like Daniel is their buddy Daniel it, later in life he's honoring God they get mad at him they throw him into a lion's den and say hey good luck to see what happens by morning all throughout the Bible the people like there's this one guy named David God looks at David and says hey you're my boy 
You have a heart just like mine. I really like you. I'm going to make you the king. And then he experiences 20 years of hell on earth being chased as, as literally like a guy on the run, a guy that was in trouble and was lied about. And everything. So like all through the Bible, there's this guy named Ezekiel who was a priest. He's got this huge book in the Old Testament. He was a priest who was literally, Babylon came to Jerusalem destroyed the temple, ransacked the temple, took all the Jews as slaves and carted them back to Babylon. And Ezekiel's sitting by a river praying, saying, God, what is going on? And here you have these ideas. So, so, so let me, let's, let's talk about a couple th- today that, that are really in particular because those are just Old Testament guys. Jesus has the same kind of thing. As a matter of fact, there's this story in the Bible where Jesus has a, an incredible friend, but, but the way he responds to his friend is so different than the way that you and I would expect Jesus to respond to the situation. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn there or iPad that or whatever, it'll be on the screen. The Bible says this, listen to this. This is, there's two stories I want to talk about from the life of Jesus even that work exactly the same. Listen to this. The Bible says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one that's to come or should we expect someone Else. Now, now, does anybody know why he sent his disciples? The reason why he sent his disciples, because you would say, well, why didn't he just go ask Jesus himself? The reason why he couldn't go ask Jesus himself is because John was rotting in a prison cell. Like John, if you know the story of John the Baptist, uh, John was, was not a Baptist, nor Presbyterian, nor Methodist. John, his name was John the Baptizer. <laughs> that was his real name because he baptized people. Uh, later, people took that and decided, we'll make a denomination, we'll be Baptist. But, but John was not a Baptist or... or Anything. He was just a he was a proly preacher, and he he basically, if you know the story, there was this guy named Herod. Now, if you remember the story of baby Jesus, and remember King Herod that killed the babies and that whole story, this would be his kid. And they all just named each other Herod as a cool way to like keep the family name going. And so so this is like King Herod the second after the first crazy King Herod, and he's the king, and he is. This is the weirdest story in the world. Um, this is like the 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 Appalachian train of family crazy okay so Herod is already married to his niece no let me take that back Herod's brother is married to his niece but then the niece comes to town and does a dance and then Herod's like I want her as my wife so he steals his brother's wife that is his niece that would have been his niece too and then marries and then you're like okay this is nuts it's this weird story. It's just, and everybody knows it's weird. Like, you know, like sometimes you like, you tell weird stories and be like, oh yeah, well back then it wasn't weird to them. <laughs> no, no, that was weird to them too. It was weird to everybody. When you're marrying your niece, who is your brother's, it's just weird. And so because it was so weird, but because Herod was so powerful, nobody would say anything because, you know, might makes right and power. You could just get into trouble. And so, but John didn't care. He was this holy preacher. So he starts preaching against Herod and all of his wickedness and all of his sin. And so Herod takes him and throws him in prison. It's later that this crazy niece turned from this husband to this brother. To, she actually calls for, for John the Baptist to be beheaded. So this is this crazy story. So John is sitting in a prison, the Bible says, and this is what's going on. Now, here's the other thing you know about John. John the Baptist, if you know the story, is actually Jesus's distant cousin. So this isn't just like, hey, preacher down the street, 
I should be nice. No, this is like distant cousin. This was the John the Baptist who actually baptized Jesus in the river Jordan. Remember this story where Jesus is baptized and he comes up and like there's a lamb and a dove and he says, behold the lamb of God. Remember that? Like this is the story. So this is John the cousin, John the friend, John the baptizer. I just want, I'm painting a picture because I want you to know this isn't just some average person. This is somebody that Jesus is very, very close to. You got me? Now, I don't know about you, but when you go to prison, you want me to visit you. That's what I know about you. When you're in the hospital, you want me to visit you. And when you're in prison, you want me to visit you. And I'll come visit you. Jesus does not. I don't know why, but he just doesn't. Verse number 12, listen to this. This is Matthew 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he didn't go visit. He didn't send a care package. He didn't write a letter. The Bible says he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake. Now, again, if you're just, a, if you're just reading your Bible, you just be like, okay, oh, well, that's interesting. All right. And you, you just keep reading. You, you really need a map to understand the dynamic of what's going on here. Because what you want is your pastor to come visit you while you're hemmed up in prison for being a good guy. And, and, but that's not what Jesus does. So if you could put up a map for me here real quick. This is the deal. Now, this map is going to be a little hard to see, but just focus on the main points. The Bible says that Jesus was in Nazareth right here. When he got the news that John had been put in prison. Now, prison is all the way down here. This is where prison is. And just so you know, like, their prisons are bad. Their prisons are just dungeons. Their prisons are like, just like, like, as a matter of fact, like, they didn't have food in prison. You just better have some people that loved you and would bring you some food or you wouldn't eat. Like, this was just, you were in a dungeon. They didn't have roll call. They just left you there until you either died or they needed to throw you over the cliff and replace you because they had a new prisoner they wanted. I mean, this is just awful. And this is where, this is where this is. As a matter of fact, why don't you show me, show me a picture real quick. This is where John the Baptist is. Up here, Herod had built, this is like a, a current picture, but up here, Herod had built this fortress. And in the basement of the fortress, he had a dungeon or a prison. Now, how many know, like, that's, that's where you want to go on vacation, right? So, so this is where John the Baptist is. So the Bible says that Jesus, when he heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he doesn't go visit. Go back to the map for me real quick here. The Bible says that he, instead of going down here to go to prison, he actually goes up here to Capernaum, which is by the lake. Now, this is why you're, you would be an angry church member if I did this to you as your pastor. Because this is where Jesus went. Show me a picture of Capernaum by the lake. Oh, look at this. Jesus went to the lake. That's what Jesus did. Like, this is the, the, the ocean was too far, but if you want a beach experience, this is where you go. This be, I, and you're like, what? Like, because this is, this is what you need to know. Like, the writer, like, Matthew should have left this out, right? Like, if you're really trying to start a movement and get people to rally behind the Jesus thing, you would never put this in here, right? You would never, like, Jesus is the best. Jesus is the nicest. Jesus is going to help you. Jesus is going to give you all these great things. And Jesus, if you just follow Jesus, your life will be awesome. That's what, that's what they should have said. But they didn't. They said when, he said, when your buddy goes to prison, Jesus went to the lake. You're like, What? And this is why so many people sometimes get offended at God and they get upset and they're, they're, they're all trashed and torn up and don't know what to do. And so remember, remember how John was in prison and he sent his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you the one, are you the Christ, are you the Messiah, or should we wait for someone else? This is, this is their reply. Go back to Matthew 11 now. So the Bible says that Jesus replied and said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind... Receive their sight. 
The lame walk. Those who have leprosy, they're cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news, the gospel is proclaimed to the poor. Now, I don't even know if this was like, is this really passing along information? Because this is almost like adding insult to injury. This is like, oh yeah, remember how you're in prison? And he'd been there for a year now at this point in time. Remember how you're in prison and I didn't come and visit you? And you're wondering why God's not breaking you out? Because that's what I would want Jesus to do, right? If Jesus is so powerful that he can turn, you know, stuff into bread and he can heal blind, I want Jesus to do a divine jailbreak. I want him to send angels to burst open gates. I want him to curse Herod with the ten plagues of Egypt and be like, that's what I want. I want there to be the most divine, cool, awesome prison break. And Jesus doesn't even show up. He goes to the lake. You ever felt like that before? You ever felt like Jesus was sleeping on your in the meantime moment? You prayed and God didn't answer the way that you thought he ought to answer. And you prayed and you didn't get... You ever, you ever seen like people who were, who were just... They seem like godly people and good people. Because just so you know, John the Baptist was good people and he was godly people. He was so godly that Jesus said he was the greatest man ever born among women. That's a big deal. You'd be like, greater than Moses? Yep. Like greater than all the... Yep, yep, yep. That's what, that's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said he was the greatest dude ever. Then why didn't you go help him? I don't know. But he didn't. And this gives me some peace of mind. And what it does is it begins to change and rearrange my theology a little bit. Because it changes the way that I see God. Because I have to recognize that God... It, now, now, did John love... Or did Jesus love John the Baptist? I'll prove it to you. There's, there's, this, there's this other story. Let's, let's keep going. There's this other story that, that's very, very similar. You probably even know this one. There's this verse, John chapter 11, verse number three says this, Lord, the, the one you love is sick. Anybody know what he's talking about? Lazarus. Yeah, thank you, wife. Um, so she already knows the sermon. Um, now, now, what would you think if somebody just came up to you? They don't even mention Lazarus' name, do they? They just say the one you love is sick. Now, who would you think about if I came up and said, hey, the one you love is sick? Who, you'd be thinking about your wife or your kids or your, your mom or your dad. I'd be like, oh, what, what, what's going on? This person was so close that Jesus already knew who they were talking about. That's how close they were. And then listen to this. John chapter 11, verse 5 says this. Now, Jesus loved, it's just putting it on front street, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This was a family that he loved and was close to. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he immediately went and visited them in the hospital. No, the Bible says that he was there and purposely waited two more days. It was like as if all the disciples were like, all right, well, we're going. This is Lazarus. We're going. He's like, sit down. Why does God react this way? And what it shows to me is that maybe, just maybe, God's up to something different than what I think he ought to be up to, that God answers prayers differently than the way I want him to answer his prayer. And here's the reality of it too. If God answered prayers the way that you always wanted him to answer prayers, life would be a wreck. Can you imagine if every one of us got our prayers answered the way that we wanted them answered? Go back in high school. Remember all the prayers you prayed in high school when you prayed for him and you prayed for her and you prayed for the lotto and you prayed, you prayed, you prayed for everything. Can you imagine what if God, so God doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, there's this, there's this other verse that's so good here. Listen to Matthew chapter 11, verse number 6. The Bible says this, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So remember at the end of that whole John the Baptist thing and that whole Lazarus thing, Jesus makes this incredibly bold statement. Because he's messing with you. And we're, we're going to get there. We're, we're going somewhere, I promise. It's 11 o'clock if you're taking medicine. I promise this is going to go somewhere good. 
But he says this, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What he's saying is this. He gets done with the whole John the Baptist thing. He's in the midst of the whole Lazarus thing. And he says this. He goes, blessed are you if you don't get offended because I don't do things the way that you want me to do things. Blessed are you if you don't get jacked out of shape, mad, angry, envious, resentful, hurt, wounded, leave the church. If I don't answer prayers the way that you want me to answer prayers. So it's this bold challenge to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if I'm in the meantime? Because remember those, those, those temptations? Here's my point in saying all this. Don't confuse God's apparent absence for apathy. He's not absent or angry. Let me say that again. Do not confuse God's apparent absence for apathy. He is not absent or angry. Was he angry at John the Baptist? Was he angry at his best friend Lazarus? Was he, was, he, was he angry at Martha and Mary? Was it because of their sin that John the Baptist got put in prison? You ever do that? Like, I know people like that. You, you come from like these guilt backgrounds, these like guilted churches that, that just told you you were always bad and always awful and God was going to get you. And every time you sin, you're like waiting for your tire to blow up. Right? Every time you sin, you're waiting for like something bad to happen because all in your mind is that God's going to get me. He's got to be angry at me. God wasn't angry at any of these people. But he still didn't do it exactly the way that they thought and maybe they, they, that he should have and maybe the way we think. But I'm telling you, God's ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. It's not going to work out the same way that you think it is. And it's not because he's angry at you. It's certainly not because he is absent. David said this while hanging out in a cave, being tracked and hunted. He said, God, even if I made my bed in hell, even there your presence would find me. So it's not that he's absent. It's not that he's in. It's not that God doesn't care. Do you know how I know that? Because the writer John, like the disciple John, he wrote these words at the end of his life. He wrote these words. He, he said, for God so loved only the good Christians who always went to church every single week. That God so loved only the people that were really, really good. No, no, no. He said God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus to die so that they might have life. So, like that, so, so I know it's not that he doesn't care. He was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice greater than any other sacrifice that could even possibly be made. It's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he's absent. It's not that he's angry. But we don't fully know and fully understand what he's up to. Listen to this. So we talked about those three temptations. Really, the temptations are this. Is that, is that you're, you're tempted to lose your joy. Remember that statement, I'll never be happy again. All of a sudden, now you can't have joy anymore. There's nothing good that can come from this. Now you have no hope. Like your future expectation of what could be and what should be. And what God's dream for your life and God's purpose and plan for your life. And then lastly, there's no point continuing. I mean, God can't. Clearly, there's no way that God has. You ever been in a situation where you looked at it? You're like, there is no way that God could ever have a plan or a purpose with this. Sometimes bad situations happen and they're so bad. They're like, there's, there's just no way. But here's what I want you to know. Here's where I want to change your theology today is that if you grew up as a kid, let's just do a quick, quick poll. How many of you grew up in church as a kid? Lift your hands up real quick. You grew up going to church as a kid. Okay, good. Um, if you didn't, you're probably better off in this situation I'm about to talk to. When you grow up in church as a kid, there is a temptation to take what you learn in there and let your childlike faith become your adult faith. And then when your adult reality crashes into like awful circumstances or in the meantime, you lose your faith. This is what we all run in. You ever wonder why people leave the church? 
why people get angry at God, why people stop going to church is because ultimately they were disappointed or they lost their faith in God. But more than likely, it's because they grew up. And listen to me, you need childlike faith. That's really, really important. Let me explain it like this. If, if a five-year-old asks me, where do babies come from? We got to say something like mommy's tummy. Okay, but then when you're in college and you take that and your professor asks you where babies come from, you better have a better answer than from mommy's tummy. Because your ability to, to make a sense of a complicated world with the most simplistic answer doesn't work. And so what happens is kids, people that grew up in church as kids, they have childlike faith, but then they turn into adult realities. They turn into like adult pain or suffering or realities that they can't fully explain, and they don't know how to make sense of it. And they're like, oh, well, God doesn't work. God's not real. God is broken. God's not what I thought he was supposed to be. Many of us have this, and there's a, there's a bunch of different ones. We'll just talk about this one for for just for sake of time and the fact that we're in this series, is some of you grew up with this idea that God was fireman God. Like that's who God is. God is fireman God. And you know what fireman God does, right? Fireman God pulls the kitty out of the tree. Fireman God rushes into every burning building and pulls out every person. And fireman God is a hero. And fireman God always rescues. Let me ask you a question. In the Bible, does God always rescue? He doesn't. The disciples never walked away from following Jesus for three and a half years and said, you know what? I believe in fireman God. Do you know why? Because 10 of them were tortured and killed for their faith. Remember all those stories we talked about earlier? Like, like this is what you need to know. Like, this is the cool part about who God is. That, that no, he's not fireman God. And this is the big deal. Is that all those different, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember I told you they were, they were literally thrown into a furnace? The Bible says that God got into the furnace with them. That when, lion, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, that God sent an angel to go get in the lion's den with him. That Ezekiel, when he was sitting on the shores in Babylon, angry at God, confused as why God would allow such a thing to happen. The Bible says he had a vision that the temple got picked up out of Jerusalem and moved to Babylon. He's like, why would God ever be in Babylon? Because God is right in the midst of your awful situation. No matter how bad it is, no matter how many times you said it is what it is, and I don't know what to do, and I'm done praying, and I don't even know how to, I don't, I'm just, this is what I want you to know. God's not absent. He's not apathetic. He's not even angry. More than likely, he is right there with you in the midst of your mess. And here, here's what you need to take notes on this, is that the promise of God was never that he would rescue you from everything. The promises of God was not that he would save you and deliver you from everything. The promise of God is that through everything, he would be with you. That's the promise of God. The disciples never walked out of life thinking. They were even told, like Peter was told, hey, get, get ready. It's, it's, it's the, the future before you is going to be hard. It's going to be painful, but I will be with you even to the end. And that's the promise of God. So you don't want to get this childlike faith that says, oh, well, God's going to rescue me out of everything. And all of a sudden you hit adult realities and you're like, wait, God didn't rescue me. He never said that he would. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan. And so here's, here's what I want us to do real quick. I want us just to kind of like get some new thoughts and new wiring into our brain. Lastly, we'll, we'll end on this right here. Number one is this, I can be happy. Can we just all say that together? Everybody say, I can be happy. Let's do it. I'm going to say it and then you follow me. We weren't on the same page there. I can be happy. Like you can, right in the midst of your meantime situation. You don't have to lose all your joy. You can be happy. Next is this, something good can come from this. 
There is a purpose to this pain. I'm just telling you that that in the meantime, for those of you who are in it right now, the most important thing that you can do, and listen, this is just the starter. This is just the beginning. Like there's so much more because some of you are like, well, what about this and what about this? I know, that's that's why we have four weeks to talk about this. But before we get into any of the things that I want you to do or to think or to pray or to whatever, all I want you to do is right now settle in your heart because when you're in the midst of the meantime situation, there's this emotional turmoil that says, I'll just never be happy and it'll never work out and God has abandoned me and God has left me and you're on this kind of roller coaster, this emotional up and down and you don't know what to do. And I just wanted to put your, your, your nerves at ease. I wanted to calm you. I wanted to give you some peace of mind. I wanted to give you some clarity from the Bible. I wanted to give you this assurance that even though you feel like like God has abs- is absence. He has not abandoned you. He is right there with you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your trial, and he's there for you. And because of that, you can be happy. Something good will come from this. There is a purpose to your pain, and we'll look at that next week. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you that you are good. We thank, you that you, we, we thank you that you are love. God, we may not always understand how that works, and we may not always get our answers the way that we think we ought to get our answers, and you don't always do. You're not a puppet on a string always doing what we want you to do, but God, you are love, and you are there. God, you are with us. And so, God, I pray for all the people that are out there today who are in the midst of their meantime situations. Many of them, like, I know their stories, God, and I can't imagine what they're going through or the emotion that they're facing, God, but I pray over them. I pray over their families. I pray over their marriages and over their kids. I pray over their body and over their health. God, I pray that you would be so actively involved, God, that you would show up in such a unique way. And God, we don't know how you're going to answer prayer. and We don't know how you're going to work things out. We don't know what the end result is going to be. But God, we trust you. We trust that you are with us in the midst of everything we are experiencing right now, God. And we thank you that we are not alone. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at 